So in uh, 2010, there was this movie released called The Book of Eli. Uh, it starred uh, Denzel Washington, who plays the character Eli, and he lives in this post-apocalyptic world, so things are pretty bleak. And uh, he's traveling around, and he's protecting a very, very powerful book. And it's so powerful, people are constantly trying to attack him and kill him and get this book from him. And in one scene, later on in the movie, we meet the main antagonist, and, and his name is Carnegie, and uh, he's played by Gary Oldman. And uh, Carnegie says, I need that book. I'll, you know, we, we need this book here. And uh, Eli says, I don't think so. And he says, well, either you give me the book or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you for it. And uh, Eli says, why do you want this book so bad? And Carnegie says, I, I grew up with that book. I know its power. Imagine how different our world could be if we had the right words, the right words for people. People would truly understand why they're here and what they're doing. And they wouldn't need any other ugly motivations. That book isn't meant to be kept to yourself. It's meant to be shared with others. Don't you want that? And so, of course, as the movie unfolds, you, you realize Carnegie only wants the book for his own attentions and his own desires. And Eli escapes, and he eventually finds a place where humanity is kind of regrowing again, and there's a guy collecting books, and he's reprinting them. And Eli shares this book uh, with him, and, and you can see on the printing press uh, the Bible is being reprinted. So it turned out Eli had the only existing copy of the Bible left on earth, and he was willing to fight to the death to protect it, to guard it. What if that were true today? What if there really was only one copy of the Bible left on earth? How hard would we strive to protect it? Or how hard would we strive to read it? Uh, what would happen to our world if, in fact, the Bible was to slowly vanish from society and only a few copies remained? And I fear, as I was thinking about this, I fear that this might actually be a reality taking shape around us today. You know, of course, the Bible is everywhere. We've got plenty of copies. I counted uh, in my office, I have uh, 19. I don't know why I have so many, but I've got 19 copies, so I'm really spiritual. Um, you know, it's, it's everywhere. Uh, I, it's, it's on our smartphones. You can read it. You can even uh, listen to it, I think, for free on the Bible app. Uh, you, can, you can have the audio if you want. And yet, I wonder how much we really utilize it, or how much we actually read it, or how much of our lives are actually shaped or transformed by it. Uh, certainly, the society around us and, and culture at large doesn't... Uh, have much need for it, it seems. It's, it's outdated to them, it's demeaning, it's irrelevant. And yet without it, I would argue that societies, cultures, and nations are crumbling all around us. There's not a single item, I, I believe, that anyone in the world could possess that would be greater in value than the Bible. It's an integral piece for all of humanity to thrive and to live and to be sustained. And unfortunately, I think more often than not, it's forgotten. Without the authority of God found within the pages of the Bible, 
we shouldn't be surprised to find a lifeless and bleak landscape and culture, much like the one seen in the movie, The Book of Eli. And so we are working our way through the gospel project, and uh, we're working through Joshua right now, and today's sermon kind of takes a little bit of a pause in a way to take a look at the Word of God and why it's important, especially in this, in this moment. So the Gospel Project says, Joshua heard the Lord appoint him to leadership over the Israelites in the place of Moses. He received God's encouraging word to be strong and courageous because God promised to be with him and the people of Israel. Furthermore, the Lord gave Joshua instructions about their entry into and conquest of the promised land that he was to lead the people to obey. Because God is our holy and good creator, his word is authoritative, declaring God's plan for our salvation and his expectations for our obedience. So what if we've been going about the Bible all wrong, or do we really understand uh, why we should be reading it or what it's meant to be for? You know, why should we take the time? And so that's what I want to dive in first, our first point. What is the Bible for? So 2 Timothy 3, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. And, uh, and later on, we're going to be in Psalm 119 as well. So if, if you have your Bibles and you want to uh, get the uh, scoop later on in the sermon, then there you go. Uh, so 2 Timothy but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I'm not sure how many of you here uh, love to read or love to write. Dustin? Yeah. Yeah, lots. Good. Uh, I heard a snicker over here when I asked that question. Uh, you know, my, growing up, my father, and still to this day, is an avid reader. He, he is constantly has a book on the go, usually fiction. Uh, growing up, my sister only read books about dating. So that's what she had a lot of books about. Uh, my wife uh, reads a ton of fiction. And uh, I read a few books growing up, but mostly I was reading comics. So I was reading Calvin and Hobbes and Garfield, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog and superhero comics, things like this. But that's what first got me into reading. Uh, once I hit college... Um, boy, they really expect you to read a lot. So I was reading nonstop, mostly books on theology and youth ministry and psychology and things like this. So today, I typically have about 12 books on the go at once. Now, I know that sounds like insanity, but bear with me. Uh, I, I've come to learn that there's, you know, different circumstances that call for different books, something to teach me in, in different ways. Uh, so, you know, my father and my wife enjoy fiction because you can really get swept up into a, a great story. Uh, in a way, you can kind of be taken into a new world. And my sister enjoyed books about dating because she wanted to learn more about that specific topic at the time. She probably doesn't need to learn much about that anymore. Um, I read comics because they had lots of pictures. And I read a wide variety of books now 
because there's just so much to life. There's so much adventure. At times, it calls for something more technical that may apply directly to your work. At times, it calls for narrative or story so you can be entertained and find joy. At times, it calls for perhaps poetry to help you give words for the way that you feel at the very core of who you are. So what is the Bible for? I believe it's for all of these reasons and, and more. We need to understand how the world works, to understand our place in the grand narrative and to be swept up into it, to have a deeper understanding of God and who he is and what he has to say about us and himself, to understand and see the words that help explain your deeper emotions and feelings, and ultimately to understand and learn more about Christ. It's a story of Jesus and what he has done for us and how we can meet him and serve him. Uh, the MB Confession of Faith says this, We believe that the entire Bible was inspired by God through the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit guides the community of faith in the interpretation of Scripture. The person, teaching, and life of Jesus Christ brings continuity and clarity to both the Old and New Testaments. The Old Testament bears witness to Christ, and Christ is the one whom the New Testament proclaims. We accept the Bible as the infallible word of God and the authoritative guide for faith and practice. I thought that was really good. We need the Bible like we need Christ. We need that relationship. We need it to survive. So when Gospel Chapel uh, was, was founded, when it was started, one of the main focuses, of course, was teaching the Bible. And in the same way, the vision carried on to the Pines Bible Camp. It's right in the name. You know, that it's, it's central to what they do. It all centered on the Word of God. And what started in those days has now passed down over the years and needs to continue to be passed down. And of course, we want uh, to pass down our knowledge to, to generations, and we want to pass down wisdom and perhaps some traditions to the next generation. But more importantly, the handling and centrality of the Bible must be one of our main focuses as we pass down things to generation to generation. I had uh, coffee with uh, Al Pauls and uh, Gary Peters on separate occasions over the last couple weeks. And, and I left both of those times just feeling really encouraged and very energized, and, and it was very life-giving. And, and I look up to both of these men for different reasons, for a variety of different reasons, but it struck me that at the core of it, I admire how integral they have made God's word in their own lives and how that dictates how they live. And that's what I want in my life, and that's what I want to pass down to the next generation. I want my life to be so steeped in God's word and in my relationship with Christ that I'm not swept away by the things going on around me, that I'm so sure of my footing on the solid rock that I don't have to get worked up about or consumed by circumstances. And I think a lot of it is a matter of orienting my heart. And so Luke 6, 45 says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasures produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And in Hebrews 4, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing 
to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So how do we do this? We spend time in the Word. We allow it to speak to us. We don't use it to get what we want. We don't bring our agenda to it. We must see Scripture revealing wisdom to us through Christ. So the second point I have is we need transformed leaders. You know, if we're going to learn the Scriptures in community, we need healthy leaders who love and handle the Bible carefully. And the Gospel Project says this, God's Word provides supernatural wisdom so that we can see salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. Wisdom is said to be the proper application of knowledge. God gives us divine knowledge of truth through his word, but the right application of that truth will always be demonstrated through genuine faith in Christ. So as Moses uh, and then Joshua gave leadership to the community of God, it was integral that they were close to God and knew what he had instructed them to do, that they were hearing from God. So in Psalm 119, we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 8. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. So I think in many ways, just as Moses and Joshua, I think in many ways pastors need to take up this same work today. And I, I wrestled with how much I wanted to say about this this morning because I don't want to come off like I have it all together, that's for sure. And I don't want to come off like other pastors don't have it together. But just to be honest, sometimes pastors make me a little bit nervous. You know, I, I hear them speak uh, online or in different churches or whatever, I, and I just go, oh man, do they really love the word or are they really applying it to their own lives? You know, and that's not even to talk about just the terrible, awful things that keep coming up on the news about pastors and the way that they're treating people. But even more, I'm just concerned and, and wonder how they're handling God's word. You know, the, the role of a pastor in many ways, I think, is, is quite simple. Preach the word, serve God, and serve people. And I just wonder sometimes about pastors, are they, are they authentic? Do they show a life that reflects God's word? Do they even include scripture in their messages at all? One of my friends who's looking for a church on the island said that the, they went to a few churches and two of them, um, the sermon didn't include one verse from the Bible. I'm like, well, what was the point? <laughs> you know, why, why even bother? You know, I, I don't wanna just come up here and entertain you. We need to, we need to hear from scripture. Now, again, I, I hope I'm not being too harsh. But are we, are we really helping anyone while we preach every week? So as we enter into this new era, I think, uh, in North America, the church in North America, 
I can't help but feel just a little bit of angst in my stomach. And I certainly am not claiming to have it all figured out, but I, there was um, a portion in a book I was reading that I think spelled it out pretty good. And uh, it was written a year before I was born, in 1987, long, long time ago. Uh, so Eugene Peterson wrote this. I thought it was pretty, pretty interesting. American pastors are abandoning their posts left and right, and at an alarming rate. They are not leaving their churches or getting other jobs. Congregations still pay their salaries. Their names remain on the church stationery. They continue to appear in pulpits on Sundays, but they are abandoning their posts, their calling. What they do with their time under the guise of pastoral ministry hasn't the remotest connection with what the church, church's pastors have done for most of 20 centuries. The pastors of America have changed into a company of shopkeepers, and the shops they keep are churches. They are preoccupied with shopkeepers' concerns, how to keep the customers happy, how to lure customers away from competitors down the street, how to package the goods so that the customers will lay out more money. The biblical fact is that there are no successful churches. There are instead communities of sinners gathered before God week after week in towns and villages all over the world. The Holy Spirit gathers, the, gathers them and does his work in them. In these communities of sinners, one of the sinners is called pastor and given a designated responsibility in the community. The pastor's responsibility is to keep the community attentive to God. It is this responsibility that is being abandoned in spades. Three pastoral acts are so basic, so critical, that they determine the shape of everything else. The acts of praying, reading scripture, and giving spiritual direction. Besides being basic, these three acts are quiet. They do not call attention to themselves and, are, and so are often not attended to. In the clamorous world of pastoral work, nobody yells at us to engage in these acts. It is possible to do pastoral work to the satisfaction of the people who judge our competence and pay our salaries without being either diligent or skilled in them. Whew! Okay, ouch. I, I wonder, you know, this was 1987 but I still wonder about this today. You know, if one of the most central pieces to the Christian faith is God's word, we must ask ourselves if we actually take it seriously. And once we ask that question, we need to ask ourselves if our leaders and our pastors are taking it seriously. Am I helping you on any level hear from God on a Sunday morning? Don't answer that out loud right now. <laughs> you can tell me later. Uh, I want you to leave here not thinking just about some funny stories or some illustrations, which hopefully all have a connection to a bigger purpose. But I want you to leave here seeing a little clearer the connection between the Bible and your own life, the messy and difficult and fun and exciting life that you live and why it matters and what God has to say about it. And therefore, it's really important that you're all praying for the pastor. <laughs> you know, pray for the sermon. It's, it's to your own benefit that the sermon doesn't suck. Uh, I, had, um, I was in the middle of writing my sermon, and it was just a slog. Sometimes it comes together well, sometimes it doesn't. And so I was just in the slog, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to take a break and go for a walk. And I had a message from Bernice Kingma, and it was just this word of encouragement that was like, keep up the good work. I'm praying for you as you prepare your sermon. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, this is, wow, okay, perfect timing. Uh, and I really appreciated that. You know, my hope would be 
that we come on a Sunday with excitement, not because Doug or I preach, but for the Word of God and any preacher worth their salt should be teaching and including Scripture in the messages. All right, I had a f- that's four points today. That was a bonus one, so that's three. So we've done one. Anyway, I've just confused you. Uh, that was a bonus point. Okay, let's get back on track. Uh, number three, the Bible is all about Jesus. So in Luke 24, starting verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. This, of course, is after the time that Jesus had died and come back to life. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We need to see the Bible as the word incarnate. The Bible is all about Jesus, and Jesus is someone we can have a relationship with. When you enter the Bible, you enter into that relationship with Jesus. One pastor said it this way, It distressed me for years as a pastor that people often study the Bible, but they never read it. They are trying to find stuff in it to use. They didn't enter it as a lived story. These are all real people and did the same stuff we did. Abraham doubted. David murdered and committed adultery. Jonah ran from his calling. These are all people that live lives very much like us in in a different culture, but still the same components. And this is their story. This is how God met them and how they sometimes had no idea he was meeting them for years and they would be surprised by what happened. So how do we most often approach the Bible? Do we see it as a story that speaks to our circumstances today, that can teach us how to live, or is it a book to be used to sharpen arguments against other people? You know, Miles uh, is currently really into being a spy. So he has started to unravel some pretty deep stuff in the Canada Post. Um, So he's planning to take them down. Uh, But he's working on that right now, and uh, he's really enjoying his life as a spy. And on Wednesday, we got to go to the school and see all the work that Nora, my daughter, has been doing. And I was just amazed by her creativity and how she's connecting things and how she uses her imagination. And one of Uh, One of my children's favorite things to do is dress up as superheroes and basically beat me up. 
So they just attack me, and they just think it's the greatest thing. Uh, and it's just a lot of fun to actually watch them use their imagination. And, and as uh, they just find great joy in that. And perhaps we need to do a little of that too when we enter the Bible. Entering a world that is filled with God, wonder, and excitement. Enter in finding joy and creativity instead of boredom and check marks and knowledge. And maybe that's one of the problems with church. We aren't being transformed by Jesus who is living and is living in the pages of Scripture. Maybe as a pastor, I'm spending too much time making sure that you know all the things about the Bible instead of living it yourself. You know, my desire for our time together on Sunday is that you come excited to dive into the depths of scriptures. You know, so what if my, what if my wife bought me a brand new truck for my birthday? It'd be very nice of her. Uh, you know, she got me this brand new truck, and she takes me outside, and it's covered, and she, you know, pulls off this tarp, and there it is. Wow, it's pretty exciting. What's the first thing I'm going to want to do? Give me the keys. I want to hit the road. I want to go up the mountain and go four by four and with it. I want to get going. But what if instead Shana said, you can't drive it yet. Uh, you need to spend the next four years studying the truck. Uh, report back, write some papers on it, find out everything there is to know. Where the parts were made and the names of the people who made them. Uh, read the entire manual in English, and while you're at it, learn it in Greek. You know, study the paint on the outside and find out how the paint was made. Compare it to other models. See which model is best for you and your needs. I think I would be pretty upset. <laughs> Give me the keys. And of course, I need to know how the vehicle works, how to take care of it and how to use it properly, how to drive it. But if that's all I know, I'll never actually get anywhere in life with it. We need to have both. We need to have an understanding of the Bible, and we need to have a relationship with it where we enter the story, and the story enters into our lives. Because John 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So lastly, the Bible renews, continuing in Psalm 119 and verse 9. How can, how can a young man keep his way pure? by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The Bible clears the clutter. It clears our minds. It renews it. Do you know that feeling if you spend too much time maybe watching TV or too much time on your phone or 
reading and watching the news for too long, or perhaps spending too much time around toxic or negative people, renewed isn't a word that I would use. When we keep going deeper into things that are are not truly life-giving, we are just going to go deeper into ourselves. Things start going inward and things become about us and not about others. In the Chronicles of Narnia, I'm almost, I've actually just finished them all, so you can tell as I keep quoting it. The last battle, so the last book, here we go. Um, There's a group of dwarves that are fed up with serving other people, and they continue to shout, the dwarves are for the dwarves. They attack everyone around them, and they don't care about anyone else but themselves. And I think this happens to us, but it's a little bit more sneaky. We likely wouldn't say it quite like this, but at times our actions show it. You know, I am for or against these specific things because they most directly impact me and my life. For example, a couple of Sundays ago, my mom bought Nora and Miles some Timbits. And once Miles was full of eating the Timbits, I don't know if it was 20 or 40 Timbits in there, but he was finished. He decided the best thing to do for himself and the future of these Timbits would be to take one small bite out of each remaining one. I think there's a picture of it. Um, So there they are. (laughs) So he decided, you know what? I still want these, and I know that Dad likes Timbits, but maybe if I take one little bite (laughs) that I could save them for myself later. So that's what he did. The dwarves are for the dwarves. We need to ask ourselves not what's best for me, but what's best for the bigger picture, what's best for the Lord or, or our church or the world around us. You know, and it's been a while, I think, for many of us, but do you remember that feeling you have after a great time with our friends or a great evening with our friends or family, the feeling you have after a great conversation over coffee or food, you feel that you've been heard and you've been seen. You've enjoyed the company and presence of people who care for you and love you. You feel energized and alive. It should be the same when it comes to the scriptures, sitting down with Jesus to hear from him and to enjoy him, to be renewed. And one of the best ways, of course, that we hear from God is reading the Bible. And reading the Bible and being in prayer is a form of listening. And overall, do we find that people are good listeners today. What does listening entail? Closing your mouth, focusing on the words of someone else, not cutting people off, waiting for for the first pause in someone's conversation to just jump in, but perhaps slowing down to just take it in. And if we come to the scriptures hurried and preoccupied with our own agenda, instead of coming to it slow with an open mind and open heart, we will never hear anything Jesus has to say to us. You know, I'd rather you take three years to read the Bible one chapter a day than try to cram it all in in one and not really hear anything. Nothing wrong with reading the Bible in a year. But I want to continue to grow and improve in the things that are most important to me. And one of those things is being a pastor. And I think about this often. And it came up three different times in the last two weeks as I was writing this sermon where someone just said to me, you know, uh, a pastor that I had in the past, not necessarily here or wherever, but one of the most important things for them 
was uh, the relationship they had with that pastor, that the pastor took time to be with them. And I want to be a pastor like that. I want to be a pastor who's never too busy for people or for relationships. And perhaps that's how we need to view our time with the Bible, a relationship, a place where we are with God, in good company with characters that look just like us. What if much like entering the Bible is about relationship, entering the church is about relationship? One is listening and being with God, and the other is listening and being with one another. The Bible is all about Jesus. It renews us, it keeps us focused on the main thing, the bigger picture, and we need capable leaders in the church who are being transformed by the word of God to help us stay the course. Let's pray. Lord, there is just so much we can unpack here. There's so much we can say about your word to us. Uh, Lord, it is so powerful. It is so amazing. And yet in many circumstances, many times, it's hard to read. And there's a supernatural resistance sometimes going on where there's a spiritual realm at place that, that's pushing against us uh, to pick it up. Uh, to take it seriously, Lord. Uh, it can be easy to make excuses. We don't have time, but we do. We all have the same amount of time, and we need to make the time for your word. Uh, this is where we will hear from you, and we need, Lord, to desperately hear from you. We thank you that you speak to us, and we thank you that we can go to your word. We thank you that there are plenty of copies of the Bible available to us. May we take them up and actually read them. Uh, may we take that seriously. We thank you that we also live in a country where we can do that freely, that we have that freedom and we do not need to be concerned or worried if someone will harm us because we read the Bible. It's hard to imagine that that happens in the world. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for how the word teaches us and we just pray that we will now go from here uh, taking up that call to be in the word as it renews our minds and it renews our hearts and we can worship you, and we can encourage one another in it. So I thank you so much for my family here, this church family that we're a part of, and I pray that we continue to follow you, Lord. In Christ's name.